Hello everyone, welcome to the Godman Podcast. We are your humble host. I am Michael. And you're what up, this boy Rock. And we are happy to be bringing this podcast to you. Um, so what is a Godman? A Godman is a man of God who carries God inside of him everywhere he goes. We started this podcast because we believe that God was lead the Holy Spirit was leading us in the direction to make content to uplift young men who are in Christ and young men in general because we have a lack of leadership and male rep male leadership in the world, especially in the country of like the United States and our communities, uh, with fathers not being present in the household. So boys not growing up knowing how to be men or not growing up knowing how to be God men. Yeah, that's pretty much the goal to be honest. We wanna help uplift, to help encourage and to definitely Start cultivating the men of this generation and all generations. All right. So without further ado, let's get into episode one. This is our origins series. The origins series. Yes. And so this is going to be a part one and part two. So the part one will be no other than Mike. Mike, are you ready? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big, uh, big, uh. Big moment, sweating over here in the AC. Mm-hmm. Okay, so since we are starting the origin, like I said, every person has a beginning. They have a pilot. They have a genesis. They have the very first development. Like for example, like any Marvel superhero, you know, they didn't just become. They wasn't born a superhero. They something had to happen in the very beginning. Like. Mike, we always talk about um, Iron Man, how he had, like, the best one, for sure, for sure. Yeah, he had to get blown so. up <laughs> by his own weapons. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, so we're going to jump right into this. So, Mike, just explain your earliest memory of being in the church. Because I know, like, you came from that background as of like that kid who actually grew up in church, mom made them go, had to <laughs> be there all the time. So just give me like your earliest memory of that experience. All right. So, yeah, um, like you said, I was definitely raised in the church. Uh, my mother, God fearing woman, my grandmother, God fearing woman. Um, my family is. I guess it's very matriarchal. Even though my dad was definitely like a patriarchal dude, um, he was never really in the house because he was a truck driver, so everything was left to my mother. So she made sure to instill God in us, made sure we were in church from the time I was conceived. Um, mm-hmm. And so from the time, I, she had me when she was 17, so she was still living with her mom. And... My grandmother was like, uh, yeah, no, y'all both still going to church. And I would be, I was told that the way it was, was even when I was born, unlike most babies, and I've experienced this now seeing young babies and children that are one, two, three years old in the church now, that are always like loud, doing whatever, wanting to play. They told me I sat there quietly every service and was eyes glued on the speaker every day every Sunday and so one of the things that has been said to me my entire life from the moment I was born no matter what church I went to is oh there's a calling on your life you're going to be a preacher 
Um, so I carried that throughout my childhood and life, knowing that, hey, I have to be, I have to be different. I can't be like all the rest of my friends. It was something that was drilled into me from a young age. So growing up, I didn't have, I, I didn't have friends. Like, mm-hmm. looking back on my childhood now, it was actually kind of sad. Uh, I would usually have one friend at a time. Just one. One person I could talk to outside of my house uh, growing up. And it was almost always a girl. And it was because guys, guys wanted to do all the, you know, the guy stuff and I was I was cool with some of it but I wasn't cool with all of it because every you know all the guys want to do some stuff that they know is going to get them in trouble but because mm-hmm. of how I was raised I didn't want any part of that and so in the process of having guy friends I I can tell you right now I fought I think every single one of my guy friends growing up until I got to high school. And I hmm. should have fought a few of them in high school. But it's not saying like we fought because, oh, we're just mad. We're fighting and we just hate each other. No, we fought and we would be friends like two days later. That's how it's always been with me. One, I remember one time in middle school with Jarvis. He was my best friend from middle school on. He, uh, we got in a fight. A few days after, I'm like a few weeks after I moved to the uh, house in Fairburn, we were outside wrestling. Something got a little serious, a little heated. Someone put somebody in a lock that they didn't like. I probably was being a little soft, and I took it there. I just remember I took it there. And mm-hmm. we started getting into it, scrapped a little bit, and our, our backyard is <laughs> connected to each other. So he went home, and we was all whatever. His mom came outside. With him in hand, basically in hand, walking right next to her. Mom came outside, ripped into both of us, told us <laughs> to learn to behave and get along, basically. And then went and told my moms, who then agreed with her, like, yeah, y'all need to stop acting ba- like babies. Like, grow up. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've always only had like one friend because I was always different than all the rest of the kids. I know growing up, I had really bad asthma growing up in Michigan. I was in the hospital almost on a weekly basis, especially in the wintertime. It was a weekly basis in the wintertime. I knew all the emergency staff's names, and I was in, like, first, second, third grade. Like, that's how I was in the hospital. I knew everybody who worked there. I don't think children should know everybody that works in an ER. (laughs) Um, So we got to that point in... Um, so that was another reason I was kind of separated because like as much as I like to go outside and play especially in the winter time because like fam anybody that's from the north knows like y'all know but for anyone that's from the south that hasn't ever seen this alright so when the snow comes down and there's like a foot two feet whatever how many feet of snow yeah we don't talk about inches we talk about feet of snow at this point and the truck the snow plows come in the morning they push all the stuff the snow to the banks of the road and everything it creates these giant snow mounds that we use as forts and we're hiding behind these snow mounds having snowball fights and running from cover from each one 
up and down the street throwing snowballs at each other. So, <laughs> yes, we enjoyed playing in the snow outside up there. Um, having snowball fights and stuff like that when, you know, the fresh snow was down and stuff like that. But I couldn't always do so because I couldn't always breathe. And that linked to me being inside a lot and really being in a lot of books and a lot of learning. Um, so that's how it was for me, like really growing up like that, being kind of like alone, except usually just having like that one friend. And I remember always, I remember talking to my mom about that before when I was younger and they're like, yo, like, this is not fair. Like, I don't have friends. And she would always tell me like, you're called and you're chosen and to be called, you know, to be called like this is to be alone. And I never really understood what she said until I got a little older and I was like, all right, what you're saying is I have to be separated from everyone else because, you know, my purpose is something that I have to be separated and holy for. Now, current day me would say, all right, it, the, that saying went a little too much. She could have, you know, it, I don't have to be completely alone because I've learned that you do. You can have other friends. You just they just have to be similar to you problem is I just didn't get along with all my kids because I didn't I don't know I was weird as a kid I didn't like kids that much kids didn't I don't know kids didn't get me because I was the goofy nerdy kid or whatever um so moving on I was raised in the church and I remember Emmanuel's temple is the first church I really remember going to now by the time we went to that uh, I was in I would say like first or second grade and mm -hmm. we were under the leadership of Prophet Owens who's now Bishop Prophet Owens um, and I remember even then if we got to church on time the adults and teenagers whatever right all the older folk, the folks that were not little kids they went and they had like a prayer thing in one of the rooms. They had like a banquet room, right? Fellowship hall. And they did like a pre-service like prayer in the mornings there. And so at that time, no, ch no children were allowed. So the children would have to be in children's church. And then they went to the sanctuary. I would always tell my mom, let's just please be late. Because I did not want to be in children's church. I could not stand being in children's church. I had to be in a sanctuary. I wanted to hear the word of God, the word that Prophet Owens was preaching. I wanted to hear him preach. I wanted to be in that atmosphere. I didn't want to be around my peers. And for the most part, we usually typically were late. And there would be a couple times when my mom would drop me off in there when we got there on time and she'd come pick me up. A lot of the times if we got there on time, though, she'd leave me in there. And I just, ugh did not like that um that was a ministry and a leadership that was truly anointed and taught well there was a couple times i was in children's church where i actually needed to be there and one day in specific that i remember they were teaching us how to actually call out to god Mm -hmm. and we're in there and the entire time for the entirety of service we're on our knees you know 
elbows in the chair and teacher instruct teachers sitting in the classroom sitting in their desk and they're just like I'll cry out and so everyone's in there just hallelujah hallelujah and and crying out to God and everything and then there's I remember one time like like halfway through whatever we like it just kind of slowed down and stopped and the teachers just went who told y'all to stop <laughs> nah, for real. Though. I remember this dude. He was like, "Who told y'all to stop?" And I was like, "Man, and everyone." Like, I did not tell y'all to stop. And I'm like, "We gonna be doing this the entire service?" <laughs> yeah, man. But hmm. we did, and so mm-hmm. it was cool, and we did that, and uh, okay, we uh, it was good to learn. Outside of that, when we didn't go to that church, we had another pastor that lived a mile up the street from us. And on Wednesday nights, he would have prayer at his house. And I remember being there and it'd be everybody had to pray. They'd start off with like a little worship service. They were praise and worship. His son, one of his sons played the piano. They had a keyboard in there. The other one was like learning to play guitar or something like that. And we'd all sing whatever songs, you know, more than likely dragging because there's no drums. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would we'd do that. And then everyone on your knees, elbows in the couch <laughs> and starting at the youngest person going all the way around the room. Everyone had to pray. And it was because of those Wednesdays that I really actually learned how to pray. And how to, you know, how to pray, how to call out and do these things, because not only now am I seeing my mom, I'm seeing a man do it because Uh growing up and even after we moved from Michigan, I always just went, oh, it's my mom praying like whatever it is, what it is like, it don't take all that. She's just being extra. She's a woman. That's why she's doing it. I don't have to do all that. I don't have to be loud. I don't have to go. I don't have to speak in tongues like that. Why are you doing mm-hmm. all that? That's all extra. Like, because I didn't see a man doing it because my dad was never home and he was not a believer at all. He, uh, because of that, again, I've only seen my mom. I've seen my grandma. I've seen them praying. So mm-hmm. I assumed this is just women. This is just how the women do it. And then we had a neighbor uh. across the street. Um, her she went to the church with us too and so i heard her pray that's how the women do it she had a son that was a little older than me and a daughter that was a teenager the son i never heard him pray at all the daughter i heard pray a couple times she prayed like her mom so i was just you know under the impression that this is how the women do it and the men don't (laughs) men don't do all that that's extra you know Mm -hmm. makes sense and so that's really the mentality I kept until I was an adult, actually. And when you um, say adult, like what age of an adult? Uh, if you had put a year on it. Uh, maybe like 20. Something like that. 19, 20. Okay. okay. Uh, it, was, it was after high school. It was while I was at No Limits. Even though I was in No Limits while I was in high school. but. Um, yeah, so I always just assume like it's just the women that do that, man. So for the longest, I never really gave and submitted myself to God because I thought that emotional stuff was just how women did because listening to my dad growing up you know you gotta be strong stop being so weak stop being so emotional uh you know you can't you can't you can't be doing all this because I was a big crybaby growing up too 
not even gonna lie, I was a crybaby. Like, my mom and dad could tell, they didn't really have to whoop me like that because they could just talk to me and I'd break down crying. Now, they did whoop me when I did some stuff, but whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, they just had to talk to me sternly and I'd cry. And like, sometimes they wouldn't have to talk to me sternly. My mom talked to me about my eating habits when I was like, she'd talk to me, I was living in Seymour, so I had to have been like seven, eight, nine. And I remember one time she was talking to me, I just broke down crying because even back then I was self-conscious about my weight because I had gained a bunch of weight when I was younger at that time, which was actually caused by me being on prednisone, which is a cortical steroid that you're not supposed to be on for the amount of time I was supposed to be on. You're supposed to be on that for maybe a month at a time. And the doctor, because my asthma was so bad, they had me on it for like two years straight. Mm -hmm. No breaks. My mom didn't know about that because this is before Google, guys. This is late 90s. This is early 2000s. So, yeah, this is early 2000s. So, I put on a lot of weight. And ever since then, I've always been a big guy now. Like, ever since that point. Like, I've had moments where I slimmed up a little bit, but I've always been a bigger dude since that prednisone era. And it, I packed on a lot of weight, and I knew I got big. My dad used to call me gordo all the time, which is Spanish for fat. He would put another word behind it, which I'm not going to say. It starts with an M, ends with an A in Spanish. It's the S word. So he would call me that all the time in Spanish and just be laughing about it. And I never knew what the second word meant. I just knew gordo was fat. And so I always thought, I was always self-conscious about it because I was like, he's making fun of me. And he'd be like, no, 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 I'm just joking, you know, whatever. And he'd be the one who's sitting there like, feeding me massive amounts of crap that I'm not supposed to be eating um but I didn't realize like it was like first off that kind of thing right there is just being is words being spoken over me first off so like he don't understand this kind of thing because he's not a believer but everything he was doing for all those years all those all what he was saying he was speaking words over my life that was manifesting on me. And, of course, I don't understand this because I'm a kid. So I can't tell him, hey, don't call me that. But that's what it was. So I was very self-conscious about that growing up. And so we moved to Georgia, which doesn't have cold winters, but it's still humid. But that is what it is. When we, I don't remember being in the ER not once for an asthma attack since I've been in Georgia. In fact, in a high school, I got rid of my asthma. I wouldn't even necessarily say outgrew. I started swimming a lot, which after I got done, when I got done with one summer of swimming, I had no problems breathing anymore. And anyone that swims know, like, it will strengthen your lung capacity and everything, so... Um, that helped out, but getting back to the original point, like growing up, I was always in the church, just didn't have any male, male models. So when we moved down to the South, um, the first church I went to, my mom went to Creflo Dollars church when we moved to fair, moved down here. We lived in Fairburn for three years and while she was going there and then not going, I, I took it upon myself because she was inconsistent going because we had one vehicle 
and it wasn't a very good vehicle at that time and my dad would have to take it and he'd go to work or whatever or it just wasn't working right so i would take it upon myself and i would walk up the street and there was a little baptist church up the street from there and there were plenty of men there for me to learn from but this is one of those churches that didn't believe in the whole really speaking in tongues of the holy spirit um, I received the word, but it was a really, to be honest, the church was dead in the spirit. It was not somewhere that was a conducive environment for somebody who is, should be under an apostolic covering to develop right. One thing that it did do was I did learn parts of, I did learn the word and it was the first time where I was introduced into the actually being part of ministry because while I was there the first day I had walked up there on my own the pastor was sitting down there praising worship and was like he sat down next to me asking me my name and everything he was like, okay hey you ever played the drums before and I was like no he was like why don't you uh, go why don't you go over there and play on them and I was like uh, okay so that started my drum training, which lasted a few months until his son came back from, I think his son was in Ramadi, uh, Iraq. He was in the military deployed. And when he came back, he was the drummer. So he took over and I thought, okay, well, I'm done now. I can just go back and sit back in the congregation. And they were like, no, 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 no. You're going to be in the praise team now. This is one of them churches where everything drags, even though they have a drummer. <laughs> yeah everything drags yeah. looking back on it now i'm like oh jesus but they sung nothing but hymns everything was out of a hymn book oh man Not right yeah so my hymns, foundation so my first my first music in the church for me singing was hymns so you know we getting that old school them spirituals uh-huh. and while doing that, that's when I learned the, I actually learned, I started learning how to sing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started learning, you know, different things about music and all that. So that was my first experience in a worship team. I was 10 years old. Okay. So what was, your, can, what was your favorite hymn um, around that time that it was your favorite to sing? The one I can remember now was the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I? Classic, I like that one, yeah. Yeah, I don't know the name of it. I guess it's the Lord is my life. I don't know. Because, you know, a lot of them, it was just like, turn the page, blah, 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 for hymn number 96. And it's like, fam, can we give these songs actual names? Right. And it's crazy part, this like, nobody songs. knows the names of it, though. They just go, these these are not like, psalms, sir. <laughs> and the great part, like, though nobody knows it for real. So it's like, I know in church, like, every time we do a scripture... I mean, not the scripture, the hymn of the uh, morning. Like, I know if I don't have it up on that board, don't nobody in the congregation knows it. That's they just hum it. They just go. They just, they just go. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so, I guess that would be my favorite one. And then, well, I mean, obviously, you know, the the one that we sang for communion at that church, and when I was at No Limits, which is you know, it was the blood that Jesus shed for me way mm-hmm. down on Calvary. 
It was the blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. I love that. For it reaches to the highest mountain. Alright, I'm done. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> let's get back to the, yeah, let's get back to the subject at hand. Um so that was me growing up there. So I had some incidents in middle school. I started acting out a little bit. Uh my mom had to put a lot of attention into my brother, the second born, because he was troubled at school. He had different things going on, ADD, ADHD, ADHD and all these other things that was going on with him at the time. And so she was always getting calls from school and things like that. She had to be up there a lot. And I remember at one point she had to homeschool him because they just was like, yo, he got to get him out of here. We're not dealing with this this year. So Hmm. I, from a young age, because like I said, this is like 10 years old, from 10 to, it was like fifth grade to halfway through eighth grade that we were at that house. So I would say 10 through, what was it, 13, 10 to 13? Yeah. Because I turned 14 in April, 8th grade, and that would have been at Chapel Hill Middle. So, ten through from 10 through 13, I was at that place, and I was, uh, I started acting up a little bit, and from those ages, at the early age of 10, I was a lot, I was really self-sufficient. As far as, when it came to schoolwork, I can't remember a time when my mom checked my work. Hmm. I can't. She she would just ask me, is my work done? I'd be like, yep. I could literally not do my work and tell her yes, and she would believe me because it was, Michael has this. He's got it. He's the mature one. He grew up fast. And I would get to the point where um, sometimes I wouldn't do it. And I'd say, yep, I'm done. Or especially when it came to like when I was in algebra for the first time. Yeah, I'm done and completely just screwed everything up because I didn't understand the work. But I wasn't going to ask my mom because it's like, well, she's here taking care of my three brothers and trying to cook and do this and do homework with Christian and teach him and everything. It was just like I could see how much was on her at the point. I just I was like, well, I can do this on my own and I don't need her and I don't want her to have to do this with me. So, I started having trouble in school, uh, getting in trouble with different things. Little stupid stuff, man. Just being a... Bro, I was being Kid. a guy. I was being a, I was being a boy. That's what it was. Yeah. You know, the boys will be boys. It was straight mm-hmm. up boys will be boys with some of the stuff <laughs> I got in trouble for. I got in trouble, almost got kicked off the bus for a year. My mom was like, well, if y'all suspend him from the bus ring and he can't ride the bus, he ain't coming to school. Because I can't drive him to school. Not for real though. And they were that that's when they when they when she did that, they were like, All right, well, this is his last time if he gets in trouble again, like and the reason was because after we got off the bus for like a few months, that one school year, Jarvis and I had a thing where and this sounds stupid, right? But there's a median in the street that runs all the way up and down the street. And it's a you know it's one of those curved uh curbs going upwards. So we would skip rocks across the street <laughs> to hit up the curb and just to try to get it to pop in the air. And mm-hmm. we would do that when we was talking for like half an hour. And I would get in trouble because my mom would be like, I heard the bus come by, but I didn't see you in the house. Where were you? Oh, man. And y'all got to remember, this is the time before every kid had a phone. 
That's true. Um, so I'm like, well, I was just standing in front of Jarvis' house. We was talking. She was like, no, when you get off the bus, you come home, and then you can go back outside if I tell you to. But you check in first. That's right, Mama. Go ahead. So one of the times we doing that, the high school bus comes by, and I didn't wait long enough to skip a rock. And I skipped one across, skipped one across the street. It went up, popped in the air, and instead of popping in the air, it ricocheted to the right and hit the back of the bus on the bumper. Oh, man. So they drove off after, they stopped, and then they drove off, and they assumed that I just threw the rock at the bus. So (laughs) for them, that was the last straw. So the next day, they were driving past. Well, it was a Friday, so that Monday... They were driving past us on one of their routes, and next thing I know, Jarvis like, Mike, get down, get down. Our bus stopped, and my driver is walking down the bus, pointing like, which one? And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And like, all of them pointing at me, and some, most <laughs> yeah. of these kids that are pointing at me know me because they was on this bus the year before. They were eighth graders uh-huh. the year before. <laughs> so they pointing at me and everything, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, fam, because I'm not even remembering what happened Friday. And uh-huh. Next thing I know, he looking at me, he's like, Mike, what are you, what did you do? Like, you, of all people? So, I get rolled up for that, I get called in the office, next thing I know, like, like, the next day, he's sitting in the principal's, the vice principal's office, and I forget this, Miss Shannon Gay. Loved the woman, she was great, and she would always tell me, why are you in my office? She would always tell, I understand the rest of these kids. I do understand the rest of them getting in trouble. Why are you in here? I'm calling your mom. Like, she would have my mom's number in the phone pressed and just ready to hit the dial button before I walked in the office. Because I walk in the office, she just hit one button and my mom would be on the phone. Um. So when that happened, they were talking about that and we, uh, I got in trouble for that and they were about to try and suspend me for the rest of the year. My mom was like, nah, it's not having it. So I got in trouble with that. And then also when I got in trouble with that, my mom brought up, she was like, you got all these kids doing this and this and speaking this way on the bus. And at that time I developed a cussing problem because mm-hmm. I was just trying to be like the rest of the kids and the cool kids all curse. And I took it to another level as, you know, like someone trying to show out does bus driver was like excuse me he was like wait a second mike uses worse language than everybody else on the bus (laughs) and my mom was like what and when he said that you know that feeling when your heart drops to your stomach and you got that guilty feeling all day going through the day like my mom's gonna kill me when i get home Mm -hmm. oh i remember that day so clearly like i couldn't focus in class all i thought was i'm about to get the beating of a lifetime when i get back to this house so bad to the point I walked in the house and I got home that day and I immediately told my mom, hey, I'm going up to the church. Can I go to the church real quick? I need to go to the church. The deacon's up there. I need to go talk with them. She was like, yeah, go talk to them. Go tell them what's going on. So I talked to one of them and he's an ex-Navy and he was like, yeah, well, you know, I had a problem too before, but you know, we was in the Navy. He was like, you two, you shouldn't be doing that. Cussing's not good. And he's telling me all this and had me help him with the yard work and whatever. And I'm just like, can I go home with you? I don't want to go home. And when I get home, my mom's now, she's calm. So she's not about to just whoop me while she's mad. And, oh, man, she had at it. 
I went in there shaking. She's like, I don't know what you're shaking for. You wasn't shaking when you was throwing rocks. I was like, oh, man. Like, I'm about to get it. So, we moved to Douglasville. And for a while, I'm not going to church. Like, uh, my first year in Douglasville, I don't think we, I don't think I went to church. We didn't really go to church. My eighth grade, or really my freshman year of high school, because at that time she's still going to Creflo's church or whatever, and which is at this part, it's far away because that's down in College Park, and we're in Douglasville now. And um, so she's not going to church. And I'm not going to church. And down the, across the street and down the street in the cul-de-sac, there's a family that we met, met that lived there. Jason and Jasmine Turner. They are also from Michigan. So we hit it off real good. They was like, we could take Mike to church with us. Because Jason was the head of the youth ministry. He was, he had, he was an elder. Even though he was like 30 something um, He was really a youth pastor But um, They uh, Started going with church Then with my sophomore year Going on And I got that's when I got into uh, No Limits where Pastor Mays Who was also from Michigan Benton Harbor Half the church was from Michigan So we all hit it off well and I felt I felt Home for the first time In a long time but even though I was there, I still felt like it was a pressure on me to be perfect. Because again, everywhere I go and throughout life, it's you got a calling, Mike. You got a calling. You got to be a preacher. You're going to be a great man of God. Like, you're going to, he, Pastor Mays told me one time, he was like, Mike, I need you to stop, stop acting. This is when I was grown. He was, I need you to stop acting all loosey goosey and be in service because you're a giant in the kingdom. And I'm not saying that just because you're big, but you're a giant in the kingdom spiritually. It's like some of the stuff I see that you're supposed to be doing. It's like, but you, you, you're not listening. It's like, God needs you to behave and submit. And at this time, I'm really bucking hard against it because I'm like, listen, my dad never did any of that. And look, he's, he was happy enough. Not really, but he looked happy enough for the most part. He did whatever he wanted. He had fun. He did what he wanted, you know. All my friends, none of them go to church. None of them. They were all, uh, they all did what they wanted. Was sleeping around if they wanted to do that. Someone was on drugs and stuff like that. Never, even, I was never interested in that, thank God, but I was drinking. Um, so it was a lot that I was starting to rebel against God's plan because I just felt so much pressure really from my mom to be this golden child and nobody else around me that I had friends wise in my age group no one none of them none of them were believers it would have been different if I would have had like Rodney if I would have had you back then my life would have been completely different hmm. but because I had none of them I was always trying to please and be like the other people who were in the world. And so I really gave up on really trying to be a godly man and just play church from the time that I was really, uh, from the time I was really, I don't know, 
fresh out of high school up until a few years ago. Um, we had a. I remember one time when I was in high school, and this is what kept me trying to do right for a while, is I saw a spirit in the house, and because I don't know my own authority or power, because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing or even reading my word, I ran out of my house, left my door open, and ran across the street to Elder Jasmine and... Well, to Jasmine's house. And Jason went there. He's at work, and I was just like Jasmine. I was like, Jasmine. I was like Miss Jasmine. Miss Jasmine. I, I no, look, no, no. I need, I need, I need to give my life back to God right now. I need to give my life back to God right now. I was like, no, no, no. I'm seeing stuff. There's spirits in that house right now, and I don't want to die. I don't want to go to hell. And 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 I remember Alyssa's there. Alyssa's Pastor Shakita's uh, younger sister. She's in there doing some schoolwork or whatever. And so. I'm at the point now, I'm so shook up that when she's like, oh, so how's life going? I'm just like, oh, sinful. <laughs> she's she's almost laughing and she's trying not to laugh. She's like, oh, okay, sinful, huh? Because, <laughs> like, like, what does a 15-year-old know about this, you know? Like, hmm. what does a 15-year-old really know about living a sinful life, you know? Like, I wasn't too bad. I just needed to, I was just needed to clean up some things. But... When I got out of high school, I uh, when I got out of high when I got out of high school, I definitely backslid when I became when I started work when I went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, I became obsessed with living like a bat out of hell, being a uh, being a huge sex addict and being an alcoholic. And really just going, why do I need to listen to anything, you know? Like, why do I need to do any of this? Like, I know God said this and this, but why do I need to do it? Like, I can just have my fun and I'll just come and do whatever that when I'm in my 30s. Like, it's all grown-ups. It's all people that are in their 30s and up that's doing all this work for God anyway. Let me have my 20s and be a teenager and have my 20s and just do whatever I want to do. And so I was living a double life because I'd be in church and I was singing on the worship team and you know it didn't it didn't uh, I wasn't living right so there's another thing I've been on a worship team basically since I was 10 except for that one year I wasn't in church but since I was 10 I've been on a worship team because I knew no limits they picked me out too and was like the guy that was in the music department was like Mike you're a singer and I ain't tell anybody that and I was like huh He's like, you a singer. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And he's like, you're going to be singing in this church. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I don't have a car. He was like, oh, we're going to work that out. But, um, so I was up there singing and living like a bat out of hell. And at around the same time I met you and I was still living this double life. And eventually I just stopped really going to church and I stopped being on the worship team because I got just tired of it. And because living that double life is tiring, man. And I just kept doing what I wanted to do until like 2017 when God basically was like, enough is enough. Got into a car accident, 
lost my vehicle. God had me have to move back in with my mom. So I was miserable, had no way around, stripped of everything. Then it left me with no way but to go to Texas on some stuff and moved out there. And uh, when I went to Texas, I uh, God started really working on me and separating the problems that I had from myself. Break. The first thing he broke was the heavy drinking because the job I had got when I went out there that God gave me, I was too tired to even pick up a drink when I got off work. So the uh, the constant getting drunk thing that stopped that stopped quickly, uh, and then the next thing was the addiction to sex, and that wasn't going to go so easily because I wasn't fighting enough to to release that to him, and so that kept up. It slowed down. It slowed down greatly. Uh, so I wasn't, you know, sleeping around so much. I was really more in God's word. Um, and when it came time for him to bring me back home to Georgia, it was it was nearly complete as far as like the problem with just going out and sleeping around. I still had problems with sleeping with people, you know, having sex or whatever, but it wasn't so, it wasn't so prevalent in my life anymore, um, until it got to the point where he just broke it completely, you know, now I've been a year plus without having sex, hallelujah, thank God for deliverance, and I've been almost two years without alcohol, again, hallelujah for deliverance, and, uh, when I moved back to Georgia, he submitted me on, he had me submit under apostles, Darren and Valerie, which is where my spiritual growth came so much. Um, now I skipped a lot of stuff in this little life story for the past 43 minutes. So let me come fill in some blanks about the church things. Right. Mm -hmm. So before, so while I was working at main event and met Rodney in 2014, yeah, man. uh, where I was living as a heathen, always drinking, always angry, like I was a, just a mean person. Uh, my kitchen manager, James, was a godly man. He was trying to get me to stop drinking. And he always tried to get me to do what God, you know, he was always trying to, man was always trying to get me to do what God wanted me to do. Um, God knew what he was doing, put me in, in with that guy. And whenever, when James left the restaurant, I followed him. So before I left to go to Texas, uh, James and his cousin-in-law, Pastor David, they started having a family, uh, a family Bible study call. And that's when I met Pastor David and the rest of them was on the Bible study uh, conference call line. And when I told them I was going to move to Texas, they were like, okay. They hadn't really known me long at that point. It was really only a month of me being on of the call being a thing and so we uh I ended up going and I ended up going and and and, and telling them I'm moving out to Texas and David and them prayed and David was like alright you know this is what God is trying to do with you and this when he told me that God was going to use this time to 
to start to to start to burn off impurities and refine me. Um, I remember the week before I went left, I was with Bashir, another brother of mine, who became a brother in Christ like a year previous uh, when he converted from Islam to Christianity, which is another story. Um, he, uh, he was playing at a church he used to play at that was not far from where I was staying. So I would go with him and I went with him to his service at that old church, which was like another old Southern Baptist church that lost their previous pastor. And they had like someone that was subbing in or whatever. It was, they lost a lot of their congregations. It was actually like they were hanging on by a thread. Uh, you know, hopefully the Lord, you know, has provided for that church and that they got the people they needed back. Cause there was a lot of older folks in there. Um, he, uh, when we got done, he was like, Mike, let's go to church at Chapel Hill. It was the church my mom went to at the time, church Bashir was going to. I was like, dope, let's do it. Let's go to Douglasville and go to church at Chapel Hill. And we were supposed to be just chilling the rest of the day after that. Because he was like, I'm about to leave. So he was like, yo, I'm chilling with you the rest of the day. So we did that. When we got out of church at Chapel Hill, yeah, I'm about to air out your business, Bashir. Um, we, uh... <laughs> He wanted to go make a weed stop. He had to go pick up. He had to go. He had to go pick up some pro. <laughs> he had to go pick up some green from his guy, somewhere in Atlanta. When we get to the place, I get a call. I, I don't know. It was something just told me to call Karen and Kevin. Karen is Jorge's older sister. Jorge's the guy in Texas. It's like a brother of me was moving me out there. This is his older sister, so she's family to me. She's like my older sister, and Kevin, her husband, is like my older brother. I had helped them a lot over the years with them and their kids and stuff like that. They were family. I was always at their apartment. Um, so Kevin's like, hey, Mike, my mom's about to preach at this uh, at this church. She's a guest speaker. You should pull up. And I was like, all right. I talked. To, I looked at Bashir. Bashir was like, yeah, let's go, bro, because he knew them, too. And so now we're about to go to our third church service that day. And I don't even think he went and got the weed. We just, we got, we pulled up to the place. But when we said we was going to another church, it was like, all right, let's peel off and go. Because it was on the east side of Atlanta. So we had a drive to make. And we go out there and we get there before everybody else. We get there before Kevin, his mom, Karen, all of them, right? And while we're there in the parking lot, there's this lady sitting in the car who turns out was a prophet. And she calls us over to them. And... She starts speaking to Bashir and prophesying to him about a couple of things. And she asked me, and she was like, she tells me, you're getting, she asked me, she was like, you're about to get ready to make a major move, right? And I was like, yo, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm about to move to Texas. She was like, God's saying to tell you don't get comfortable because you're only going to be there a year. So I'm sitting here like a year. Man, hold up. I'm going out there to make some money for a couple years. Know what I mean? I want to stack some bank before I come back. And so I receive what she says. And then she goes on and says, you're a singer, right? And I'm like, yo, why is this happening everywhere I go? This whole you're a singer thing. And I'm like, yeah, but I haven't done it in a while, like a year. Like I stopped singing. She was like, doesn't matter. We need someone to open, open us up and worship. So can you do it? And I was like, 
All right, yeah, and I remember the ha what happened that day. I sang the anthem. You know, Todd Delaney. The music, and which was one of the hottest songs back then when it came out. Tell me how the musicians didn't know how to play it. Mm. I'm up there basically singing a cappella in front of these people and no one else in the congregation singing. And so I'm at the point now where I'm like, yo, I'm over this. And I just sit down. <laughs> but the whole point was like she she called it out back then. David said, you know, it was going to be for a season, basically. Well, he told me what the reason I was going out there for. It wasn't to make money. It was for God to, you know, clean me up. So I get to Texas and I'm spending a year out there and I don't go to church for the entire time I'm in Texas because I'm not finding a church home out there. Um, and uh, there was a church up the street from me. I kept going, man, I should probably go to that. But every time I went past it, I just got a bad feeling in my stomach. Like, don't go in here. Because also where I was living in, where I was living at, people kept warning me, like, don't be walking outside at dark, Mike. This is actually a racist town. Like, you really might be the only black person living in all of San Leon. And my coworkers would always tell me, they said, Mike, why are you still living out there? They said, Mike, come on, we're going to get you a place up in this, like, closer to the city or whatever. We're just out of here. They said, Mike, you ain't, they, they, this is not a safe place for you. But what they didn't understand is God was going to keep me. Um, so I ended up, uh, I ended up staying there, but I never went to church while I was there, but God was still working on me. During that time, you know, he had me starting to read the word more. I was praying a lot more, and I was, he started, he told me to buy a keyboard and start learning to play, which I did. But I was out in the road so much that it was hard to keep a consistent schedule with learning and everything. So, the year, a year goes by pretty quickly. So, I went June of 2017, I moved out there, really July 4th, 2017. Um, in May of 2018, God tells me to come back. Like I had a dream and the Holy Spirit told me clear as day. It's time to go back to Georgia. But at this time, I'm like, wait a second. I got a vacation already scheduled in July going to, to Ireland for half a month, but that's fine. I can just fly out of Atlanta. But I was also, they also, the job asked me if I want to go to Kazakhstan, which is a month long job out the country. And that's in August. And I'm sitting here like, man, there's a lot of money to be made this this fall before I go back. I'm going to just stick. So I don't listen to what God says, and I stick around. And I lost, I don't know how it happened, but I lost money. I was not turning out a profit until the last month when I said, all right, God, I'm moving back. That's when I started making money again, which is I was able to use to put a down payment down on my truck. But I was losing money. Didn't know how. I'm making all this money and it's just flying out the door. Can't even tell you how I'm losing it. And so I get to the point where I'm like, I right, and I move back because now my brothers are calling me and telling me, Mike, something's wrong with mommy. And I'm like, what do you mean something's wrong with mommy? And they're like, well, mom, well, we call our grandmother mom. And you're like, mom was just up here and she took mommy to the hospital and they sent it was something about some surgery. And so I'm like, yo, what? And they're like, yeah, we thought you might have known what was going on so you could tell us. Because they worried. So now, you got to imagine, I'm 800 plus miles away. And my younger brothers are telling me my mom's having a surgery. And she ain't even telling me if something's going wrong with her health. 
So I call her and I'm like, yo, what's going on? You're like, you wild and you bugging. What's going on? And she's like, well, I didn't want to tell you anything because you out living your life and I'm not about to worry you. And I'm like, mom, you're my responsibility too. If something happens to you, I have to take the boys. They're not old enough to be on their own. They were in high school. So it was like, if something happens to you, they become my responsibility. So, no, I should be privy to any kind of things that are going wrong with your health. And also, like, how would it feel? How would I like, like, how would you feel if I didn't tell you something was going on with my health? And then one day I went into surgery, didn't tell you. And let's say, you know, Lord, Lord, uh, you know, come against it. But I, I don't make it out of surgery and you just get a phone call from a hospital. Because I'm thinking in my head, you know, worst case scenario. And I'm like, yo, that's not how I wanted to hear things. So I moved back to Georgia and I'm like, all right, Lord, I received the message. You told me to come back. I didn't. And now this is happening. I go back to Georgia. God tells me, quit the job because my job was just going to fly me out of Georgia. And I'm like, but I don't even have another job. He says, quit the job. So quit the job. I don't have any other job. I'm trying to put my resume out there, trying to find something. I'm getting... These marketing scams trying to bring me in for some mess and tells me to apply to my old job main event. And I'm like, James ain't even there. Why am I going to go back to main event? They don't pay nothing. So I go back to main event with Charles and them and the rest of the people who've seen me before and knew me are like, wow, Mike's a different person. So now I understand God's showing God is showing me at that time that the change that he's already caused within me because the old Mike at main event was a terror and Rodney can speak to this I wasn't uh I, I was I was I was making people quit I was running new people out of the building I came back I was I wasn't so uh, against authority I wasn't so rebellious. I was listening to when I was told. I did the work. I was quiet instead of loud. It was a different person. So when it's time for me to leave that job, I left it and everything. And um, started going to school for welding that later that year in uh, 2019. And i move in with some friends and everything and even though i'm moving with the friends i'm still separated from them because the way they're living is not godly you know all the partying all the drinking all the smoking that kind of thing like that and all like the fornication because nobody was married but there was a lot of people shacking up in there so it was a means to end and they were friends they were good friends of mine i'm still friends with them now but it wasn't the environment that I really needed to be in. And then also, at this time, I really wasn't going to church again. Because when I started going to Christ United, and I, uh, when I started going to Christ United, and I had the, uh, uh, us in the church, Apostle Darren came up to me and told me, you have a song within you, son. You have a song within you. And I was like, yo, I'm not a songwriter. And Rodney, you can talk about this. I did not used to write music at all. I used to be terrible at it. True. Like, just just awful. 
I was a singer. I could not write music to save my life. Um, and it got to the point where I would, I stopped even trying. So when he told me that, I was like, ah, well, that's funny. I don't write music. And he was like, but you sing. Here we go with this singing thing again with the Holy Spirit telling on me with another church leader. All these different churches and the Holy Spirit keep telling them the same thing. Oh, no, he's a worship leader. So I go and tell him, I was like, yeah, it was a long time ago. I'm not, yeah, I'm not doing that again. He's like, yeah, you're going to be doing it again. And he's all nice with it. A couple weeks later, Apostle Val comes to me. Apostle Val is another mother to me. Which made the trend that's what made the transition easier. So I've always had an, I always had an issue with men trying to tell me what to do more so than women because I didn't have a man in the house and I was like, You ain't my father kind of deal, you know? But Apostle Val was really nurturing. She was like a mom to me, so she knew how to talk to me. But she came up to me and she was like, Um, son, you're a singer and you're gonna be on this worship team. And I was like, Man, I just talked to Apostle Darren a couple weeks ago and said, I'm not doing this, so I'm not doing it. And she's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're not about to come up in this church and just be sitting in the back every Sunday and think you're not going to be using your gift that God has given you to glorify him. And so I'm like, yo, who is this woman? So I'm like, I right, well, jokes on you. I'm not coming back to service. And I didn't. And really, that joke's just on me. So I didn't go back to service and I kept making excuses all the time about why I wasn't going. And it's like months down the line, David calls me out on on a Tuesday night call. And I still didn't go back for a couple months. But the next time she saw me again, I was in New Year's service and I could not leave. And so she had Kaleem and Git put me inside the group me, had the schedule to me and everything. And told me, had me told me when the first praise team rehearsal was going to be after New Year's. And that's how I got indoctrinated on the praise team again, Um, which is great because it's definitely a ministry that I'm called to be serving in and flowing in. And it's I can say that being a worshiper and learning how to be a true worshiper since I've been at that church has really changed my life. Um, It's helped me to not. It's helped me to not. it's helped me to put away the things of the world. It's helped me to get a better and deeper relationship with God and more of an understanding of Him and His presence. And it's helped me... Uh, it's helped me with the... Uh, it's definitely helped me as far as I'm me trying to live the way I'm supposed to be living because of the direction the 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 connection that I ended up getting with God and the understanding and the being in his presence and experiencing his glory is what helped me go okay this is what I'm supposed to be doing and I have to start keeping myself clean I gotta stop period with sleeping around because at this time I was still sporadically doing it it wasn't like a problem like it was before to that extent, but I was still having struggles with lust because I had my entire life had struggles with lust and and pornography and everything that goes along with that and sex. 
Okay. And would you like to go just a little bit deeper into that? Because I think that's something that a lot of men can really relate to. You know, we are definitely sexually driven, you know. That's how God created us. So before it was able to be contained now, can you describe in more deeper detail on just the struggles and the obstacles you had to face dealing with that particular area? Yeah, it was... Before I left Georgia, I was consumed by my flesh and my desire to to have sex. Um, It was almost like I was I was addicted to it. It's it's the best way to describe it. It was like a drug that I could. It was worse than me drinking. And I did definitely had a drinking problem, but it was worse than that. It was. It was almost like I had to have it to live. And so I'm not going to name any websites now, but there are plenty of websites out there that are free to use that I was on where men and women were getting on just to find somebody they could have casual sex with. Not talking about paid stuff, not talking about back page or any of that. There was sites where it was just consensual, different things like that. Some of them freaky and kind of fetish wise and stuff like that. I was on those two. Like, so... For me, it was when I moved out my house, mom's house in 2015 and it got my car. That's what got me the access to it. So from 2015 into 2017, that two year run, I was so consumed with it. I was late to work all the time because I had to have sex before I went to work. Different person all the time. I. I had sex with more than 70 people in that time period. And it was so consuming to me. Like, we were way past the pornography part. No, I could not watch porn. Like, that wasn't an issue. I couldn't watch porn. Why? Because, like, porn didn't do nothing for me. I didn't want to look at porn. I wanted to get the real thing. And even through these times, it's amazing God's grace and how he kept me because... With as many sexual partners as I had, I should have caught something. I, I should have. Now, I use a condom all the time, but still, it's just the numbers with that kind of percentage, like, the odds of you never catching anything, like, is nothing but the grace of God. And so, it was definitely the major, the biggest struggle I've ever had in my life. Well, the biggest sinful struggle I think I've had in it really started when I was a child. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share something that I've never told anybody. Like I almost told my mom once. It was something I was I was I was I was sexually abused when I was maybe in kindergarten. And I had forgotten all about it until maybe a year and a half ago. When I, it's something that happened, I just started remembering the night that it happened. And my dad had a close friend of his, a Cuban guy. He was actually a really great guy. And that guy had a son. 
So when my dad and him were chilling downstairs in the basement, which was like the man cave, the son had took me upstairs to play video games in his room. And I just remember the lights being off and him having me under the bed. And and him doing what he was going to do. And for so uh-huh. long, I didn't remember that that even happened. But, I mean, somehow, as a you're in kindergarten, man, that's like five, six years old. Like, no one should have to go through things like that. And I later learned that, well, I learned a lot earlier. I learned in life, like when I was a teenager, that this was a generational curse to happen in the family. And I never thought, I never knew that it even happened to me. Mm-hmm. Until, like I said, just like a year and a half ago. And that was suppressed by my mind. Because when you're a kid and something like that happens, so many times your brain suppresses memories like that because they're so destructive to kids. Because kids are not supposed to be exposed to things like that. But my dad is a big reason of why I had so many problems in my viewpoint on sex itself. Because. When I was maybe like eight, nine years old, I saw porn for the first time. He has had me in his truck all the time, and he had porn magazines in the truck, and he was just like, oh, look at him, I don't care. So I was sitting there looking at pornography, and by the time I'm like 10 years old, I'm getting aroused by it, not even realizing why, that's what's going on, but just know that I like what I'm seeing and I'm starting to have problems with that so from the point where I'm like 10 years old up until I graduate high school I had a porn problem mm-hmm. um, and I had a very unhealthy viewpoint on sex because the only thing for me about sex that I really knew about was what I saw in porn and everybody knows, like, you know, every adult knows that that is, that's not how sex actually is. So that's a very, it's a problem that so many of our youth see porn and decide to think that's what sex is because that's, it's a very skewed viewpoint of what sex is supposed to be like. You know, in the church, we understand like sex is supposed to be between a man and his wife. It's a covenant right there. It's them sealing that, you know. Um, it's the two flesh becoming one before God. But you know, in the in reading porn porn magazines and looking at all these things, it's about you know just the guy just slamming as hard as he can into her, and the facial expressions of the girl looking like she's in pain or whatever, like very abusive kind of deal. Mm-hmm. I so that was my viewpoint was it's about domination and basically kind of like abusing the girl and getting your rocks off and that's how it was for me growing up so by the time I was like 11 I was in middle school my dad gave me my first porn magazines for me to own and then a porn DVD because I had a DVD player uh, one of them TVs that had a DVD player in it back in you know one of those small ones I had one of those. He gave me the DVD too. He was like, just make sure your mom don't find out. So even after they got divorced, I'm sitting here getting porn DVDs from friends and stuff like that because we're in high school. Folks was 
Folks was burning DVDs from LimeWire and stuff like that. Um, and that was my introduction to sex. So from the time I was a kid, I was addicted to this image of what sex is supposed to be like and addicted to sex period and not knowing why this was on me. And I'm thinking this is just natural. Oh, well, I'm a guy. I'm supposed to be like this. My dad said, you're supposed to get as many women as you can catch as many bodies as you can. That's how he was doing. Even though I had said all the time, I never wanted to be like him because of how abusive he was and whatnot. But, um, that was the problem I had is I just, I, I was so, I was so consumed by it. So when I actually started having sex, like I had my first sex when I was like 15. Now I didn't have sex again until well, no, I had sex a few times when I was 15. But I didn't have sex again until I was actually 18. But then when that started up, when I'm 18, and now I'm actually having sex again, like, it didn't stop. So when I moved out my mom's, when I moved out the house and got my own place, that was, like, the beginning of, like, me going down a very, a very dark road where it was, like, I made sex my god. That's literally the best way to describe it is, Sex was a god to me. Sex and drinking. Because I also had a drinking problem at that time, which also stems to my dad giving me my first wine cooler when I was like eight. And that was my first experience being drunk. Also inside of the truck. Um, and him giving me sips of beer and stuff like, yeah, it's nasty. And at the time it was nasty, but... I remember one time he came back to the truck, he had bought some wine, and I had drank half of the bottle of wine before he got back. And he was like, no, 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 Gordon, that's bad, that's bad. We can't go home. He was like, we was, like, we was getting off the truck off the road. We were supposed to be going home. He was like, we can't go home now. We went to his friend's house, and I had to sleep over there that night because he didn't want my mom knowing that I got into a bottle of something that he bought because I thought it was okay because he gave me some before. Mm-hmm. So, I had a problem with that. And then the drinking, I also would assume, was also because just how, like, out of place I felt and stressed I felt in schools. Because, especially after the divorce, like, my mom was not making really any money. So, you know, I had... I had... In high school every year, I'd have like three pairs of jeans. I'd have like seven shirts, three pairs of jeans. So people would see the same thing on me a lot in heavy rotation. Um, and I got called out once with one of the girls and everything. Oh, God, girls are vicious. <laughs> Dudes never called me out because it's like, oh, Mike's a cool dude. And also because Mike will fight us. The girls was like, well, he's not going to hit me. They know. Um, but uh, it, it was it was it was a very stressful time as far as that, because being in Douglasville is middle was at that time. That was definitely middle class. So it wasn't like me being back in Fairburn, going to Creekside, where like a lot of the parents come from lower income families. Like everybody's in the middle income class, except for like us. So I'm, I stick out like the sore thumb. 
Um, and then again, I'm just a little different. So uh, I was even drinking in high school to cope with that. Like I went to George's house and his parents have, you know, his dad and them kept a, basically a bar. He was like, Mike, don't touch none of that stuff. And I would do it anyway. Uh, I would be I would be drinking some of the hard liquor anyway. Um, it got really bad when I went back to Michigan my senior year. I was drinking a whole lot because I had a guy that lived on the street who was like 23. He was a cool dude, and all I had to do was give him some, give him enough money to buy him something, buy him a six pack, and he'd buy me what I wanted. So I was drinking a lot up there. I remember even I had a memory. I went to Yesenia's house. And I'm supposed to be over there chilling with her and being with her and everything because she's going through something rough or whatever. And I remember she was mad because I get over there and I start talking to her dad. And her dad's like, oh, I know your dad. I know your dad. And pulls out a bottle of vodka. He's like, you want a shot? And I sat there and drank that entire bottle with him in like half an hour. And so I'm hammered now. Little seventeen-year-old boy hammered. He goes upstairs to sleep. I'm on the couch, and Yesenia is mad. She's like, "I'm laying down on the couch, like my head's in her lap," and she's basically expressing to me like, "You weren't supposed to do this, and I'm mad at you. Like you just enabled my dad, and worse, worse is you up here poisoning yourself, basically. Like she didn't like see me that way. And me in my mind, I'm like, I don't know why you tripping so much. Like I'm just drunk. It's not a big deal. And I get to, I get out, when the next day came and I left, I was just like, man, like, I disappointed her, and I don't know why. But I went on to continue drinking a lot. Every person's house I went to, I was drinking their parents' stuff or whatever, you know. And um, I remember I would drink at Trent's house. His dad knew I was drinking his rum. He knew it wasn't Trent or nothing. He knew it was me, but he didn't really say nothing. He was just basically like, you better make sure my wife don't find out. Um, and uh, so I definitely had a huge drinking problem, and which stemmed from that too. So that carried into my adulthood as well. So while I'm picking up on the, while the, the sex problem is picking up and kicking in really badly, so was the drinking problem. I'm showing up to work drunk a lot. Like, well, I'm not drinking and driving. I have people, I had a bottle of whiskey or rum in my car at all times. So I'd get to work, and I'd basically pregame in the parking deck and drink enough to where I'm going to be drunk in the next five minutes, basically chugging some liquor. And then I'd go to work. And James knew. He wasn't going to, he didn't fire me. He just tried to make me better. He was trying to get me to quit. Um, so that's how all that started and that started to break, you know, just a couple years ago when I felt the Holy Spirit finally tell me like, you have to stop drinking. And it came in a dream where I was dreaming and the Holy Spirit told me to stop drinking. And then I woke up from that dream and he just pointed me to Leviticus, like chapter 13, something when Aaron's sons died from offering up a strange fire and then Moses starts telling Aaron that from that God's putting a, a command on his sons to, you know, basically keep themselves holy. 
and not such a strong drink and all this mess. And he's giving them the roles of what you're supposed to do as a priest. And that's what the Holy Spirit pointed me to in that scripture. And I had never opened the book of Leviticus before, so I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, all right, so I get it. You're telling me to stop drinking. And that was almost two years ago. So it'd be October 4th would be two years of me not having a drink. That was in what, 2020? Yeah, 2020, so. Um, and I always knew I had to stop with the sex thing, but that was just such a hard struggle. That was such a stronghold for me in my mind. And it was something I struggled with so much. But I finally was able to, to get over that. And now, you know, thank God, and I was talking to Rodney about this earlier today, but y'all, I don't even have the desire to drink anymore. Like, usually I'd have desires every once in a while, and I just have to get some non-alcoholic beer. I've had non-alcoholic beer sitting in my fridge since May. It is almost, it'll be July this week. And I'm not even drinking them. I don't desire it. I haven't had sex in more than a year, and I don't even desire to do it right now. Like, it's not like, I see a fine girl, don't get me wrong. My eyes still work, fellas. I still see what's out there. And it's the summertime, too, and I'm in the gym. I still see what's out there. Nah, I mean, but I don't get the thoughts anymore of, man, what I do to her and all this. And, yo, I want to do this. Let me go holla at her. It's just, yo, she fine, man. She bad, but she ain't my wife. Like, God has worked on me so much to the point now where it's like, yo, I only want to have eyes for the woman that you have for me. That's it. Man, that's powerful. That's that's really powerful. That's something that I think your story, Michael, is definitely inspirational, impactful, and God designed. That's the best way I can put it. And I think that um, through your honesty and transparency, I'm pretty sure that someone got transformed or a light was shown through your story, through your origin. Yeah, man. And it's like, it's not all pretty. Like, listen, I, I had beat myself up so much over the years about the way I had behaved and just basically just rebelling against what God had sent for me. Right. Because again, I grew up in the church. I knew better. And even so, it was it wasn't until recently where I had where God, the Holy Spirit had to check me. It was because I always kept saying, "Man, you know, if I hadn't done what I did and wasted these years, like you know where I'd be right now." And the Holy Spirit had to check me and was like, "If God hadn't allowed me to go through what I did, I wouldn't be the person I am now." Like. I wouldn't be this mic right now. I I couldn't be because I wouldn't know what the other side felt like. I wouldn't know what that despair, that loneliness felt like. I wouldn't know what that emptiness felt like because that's honestly what it was. It was emptiness. I was empty inside and I tried to put everything in there but God. Like literally everything. Alcohol, sex, whatever. Everything but God was in me. And so I felt empty. And without feeling that, and without feeling that anger, without feeling that sadness, 
I couldn't truly appreciate and know what joy feels like. I wouldn't have fully appreciated what God's presence and relationship with him feels like. Like, so Holy Spirit kept had to check me and was like, don't say things like that because I'm not the same. I wouldn't be the same person as I am now. And I wouldn't have a testimony to tell to be able to help somebody else that might be going through this and also that my testimony is to build up it builds up the kingdom it shows God's glory because throughout this entire time God never took his hand off me never took his hand off me it would have been so easy for him to be like you know what you want to keep doing what you're doing you do what you do and I right, we'll see I, I see you on the other side but during that entire time, I, there's so many times I can tell you right now where while I was wilding out, my life was saved. Like near death moments where the enemy tried to take me out. And so I, even like on lunch break at work one day, and we, were, we went up to a QT to get something to eat on lunch break. And we're driving back and someone else is driving. I'm in the back seat and it's a heavy road with trucks because it's, it's, the QT even has a truck state truck. Uh. Uh, it's a truck stop too because it's Fulton Industrial is a lot of trucks and stuff like that and this is where a lot of warehouses are it's a divided highway that we're about to come in the back way to and we got to turn right on it the guy it's dark there's no roads on it and it's just a little foggy the driver doesn't even realize where the road is and he's speeding down and doesn't even see the highway and we shoot across the highway and as soon as we got hit the first lane we were supposed to turn into that that part of traffic, it was a tractor trailer that nearly hit us. And it would have hit my side of the vehicle where I was sitting. Would have killed me instantly. Shoot across to the other side. Two cars miss us. And we somehow perfectly end up in the driveway going to another business where he stops. And we're all sitting there like we just almost died. And there's other chance, there's other instances, man, of car wrecks and stuff like that that should have happened, and times I should have died, or be falling asleep driving home because I'm tired, and a tractor trailer blows his horn because I swerve in front of him and almost get ran straight over, but God. So, like, it's God's mercy and His grace is so, is so amazing, it's so incredible. And like he's right when he says, "Yo, my grace is sufficient," because it is like his mercies renewing daily on us, even when we don't deserve it, man. Like, think about the fact that like Jesus, I, I like to think about this sometimes. Like, Jesus knew how bad I was going wild out, and when before I was, you know, well, back two thousand years ago, and yet he still said, "He's worth me dying for." He's worth me suffering for, even though he's going to be hard headed, even though he's going to be rebellious, even though he's not going to listen. He's going to do what he wants to do for a season and disobey the will of God, even though he was going to be raised in the word. He's going to do all this. I still say he's worth it. He's worth me going to this cross and suffering. He is worth this beating. He is worth the mocking. He is worth the betrayal. And I think that's how we got to think about these things, man. We got to look at it personally and 
go. Like, yo, Jesus did this knowing how I was going to be. And we got to get out of our own minds because I definitely had a problem that I struggled with in my mind as far as like doubt and feeling like I'm just unworthy of things. That was another way the enemy attacked me after I started getting into the church was, look at all the stuff you've done. You think you're worthy? Look how unclean you are. Like you're just dirty. This is the kind of stuff I'd hear. And this is the kind of stuff I would start to tell myself, even looking like in the mirror, like, yo man, you really nasty. Even when I talk about like how many sexual partners I've had. Because I don't know how many I've had anymore. Like I literally have lost count. I lost count in the seventies. And there's been enough where I I'm over a hundred now. And I look back at that and I used to always beat myself up over like you're disgusting, you're just nasty, like how could you be like that? Like you're so nasty. Like the same way basically a guy would treat a woman that did that. I did that to myself because even with guys, I tell guys that do that, I'm like, yo, that's nasty, fam. And because I lived that life before, I keep going to myself and just beating myself up, you're nasty, you're disgusting, look at what you did. But that was nothing but the enemy being in my mind trying to get me to feel that way and speak that over myself even though the word says that you know when you accept God you are a new creature the old you isn't there anymore and it's something Apostle Val had to keep reminding me all the time when I got to this church was the old Mike is dead stop trying to bring him up don't even talk about him He's dead. God don't even know that person. He doesn't even know the old Mike anymore. Because he died when you, you, you put that old Michael on the cross when you accepted Jesus. So it's one of those things you, gotta, you can't beat yourself up all the time with this. You can't beat yourself up. Because look, we've all have passed and we've all made mistakes. But if you start beating yourself up and dwelling on those mistakes, the same ones that God's not even dwelling on, like, it's going to be a burden that you weren't meant to carry and you can't carry. And it's going to drive you mentally to depression. It's going to drive you to having anxiety problems. It's going to drive you to feeling you're unworthy, that you're worthless. I mean, it'll drive you to do some very crazy things. Some people, it'll drive them to commit suicide. You've got you've to give that to God and forgive yourself. And that's, I think that might have been the hardest thing that I've had to do since I've been in Christ is forgive myself for what I did. And it was so hard for me because I feel like if I would not, if I, if I would have just started in the world, I feel like it would be easier to forgive myself because I didn't know. But for me personally, because I knew the truth, I knew the way, I was raised in it. It's harder for me to forgive myself because at the end of the day, I go, but you knew, Mike. You knew. You knew this was wrong. You knew you weren't supposed to be doing this stuff. And yet you did it anyway. And so it was a long process of working to forgive myself. And it was... It was a lot of nights of me just crying before God. It was a lot of nights of me worshiping and just being broken 
And to be honest, guys, like, we can't, we got to drop the machismo act and, and just allow ourselves to be broken before God. Because we can't do this on our own without him. And we're not equipped to handle all of this stuff on our own. He wants us to give it to him. Bring it to him broken so he can heal you. So he can build you back up the way he designed and intended for you to be built. Like, I'm a different person now than I even was a year ago. I'm definitely a different person now than I was before I went and rededicated my life to Christ. And like, the growth that's happened just within the last like couple years since I've been submitted to this ministry is night and day like every year it's night and day between who I was and who I am now yeah beautiful story beautiful story beautiful story and it's only the beginning it's only the beginning well Mike I think this was a great first episode of the Godman podcast don't you think uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, it's about time that I fully shared the testimony. Now, there's a lot of things that were left out for the sake of time because we're already at an hour and a half. But there was there was some definitely some things in there that, like, for one, I never thought I was going to be telling anybody about being. Uh, sexually abused when I was a child that was one thing I just imagined that I was going to probably tell my wife and then other than that take to the grave um, but Karina I was talking to her earlier today over Instagram because she I watched her testimony about what she happened with her and she was telling me like listen you gotta say it you got to say whatever that you were, you got to say whatever is true about your testimony and just let it out there because at the end of the day, your testimony is power. It's powerful and it's what God is going to use to bring deliverance to others. So... I pray that anybody that, you know, heard this episode today, like, if you have something that's similar that you went through or anything, like, that you know, man, you can make it out of it. Like, you can, you can definitely, you can definitely make it out. It doesn't have to be the end. You don't have to be a prisoner trapped in your mind. You don't have to be a prisoner trapped to your own desires. You can, you can get out. That's true. You could definitely, definitely get out. You know, I said Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He can definitely make it happen for all. So, guys, that was uh, that was episode one. I did a good job. I didn't cry because I don't cry, guys. Unless it's for God, <laughs> I don't cry. Although I technically guess this is for God, but I didn't cry, so. Um, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, anything else, Rodney. Cause I don't handle social media, guys. 
Yeah, Mike, I think you said it all. Um, the God Man Podcast, you can definitely look us up, follow us, like, comment, and share. And definitely share with fellow men out there in the world. Fellow men out there in the world. And this should, oh, goodness, S. This should be available to you guys (laughs) on all of your regular DSPs for a podcast, as in like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I don't know if it's on like these or anything, but whatever. I know it's going to be on those three specifically. Um, Shout out to Anchor. so, any man that you know that you know needs to hear anything that's in here and needs to be built up, like share the pod. We'll be happy to see you guys on the next episode where I get to hear Rodney cry. <laughs> so, you guys have a good day, and we're out. I right, be blessed. <laughs>